0: Here is a name you ought to know, David Lebowitz. Who's David? He's a top analyst at JP Morgan, one of the world's largest and most prestigious investment banks. And according to David, the 60 40 portfolio is changing, which means the traditional 60% stocks, 40% bond mix needs to be reimagined. Some top advisors are rewriting the 60 40 formula and putting alternatives front and center. That's right. Alternative Assets. According to JP Morgan, Bank of America, and other leading financial institutions, alternatives are no longer optional. They are essential. And today's sponsor, Masterworks, is enabling all investors to add one exciting alternative asset to their portfolios. Blue Chip Artwork. According to Citibank, contemporary art prices outpaced the S&P 500 by 164%, from 1995 to 2021. And Masterworks is the award winning investment platform that lets you diversify your portfolio with fine art in minutes for a lot less than you're thinking. I urge you to check them out, especially since contemporary art prices outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1995 to 2021. Plus, Masterworks is valued at over a billion dollars, and you can't say that about very many companies today. But my listeners can skip the waitlist by going to masterworks.io slash sadtruth. Once again, visit masterworks.io slash sadtruth. See important disclosures at masterworks.io dc. All right, hi everybody. This is Gad Sad. This gentleman was kind enough to invite me twice so far on his show, and as we all know, reciprocity is a very important Darwinian mechanism, so I have finally corrected the wrong by getting him to come on my show. How you doing, Dennis
1: Prager?: You know, I never thought of reciprocity as a Darwinian mechanism <laughs> already in the introduction, I have learned something. <laughs> Well, I'm sure I'm
0: going to learn a lot from you today. I'm really excited to talk about your latest book. But first, for the three or four people who don't know who you are, you're the host of the nationally syndicated talk show, The Dennis Prager Show, co-founder of PragerU, which puts together these beautiful little packets of five-minute clips, which I'll just notice very gently that I've yet to be invited to do one when it is perfectly appropriate to have asked me to appear many times, but we'll skip that for now. Author of many books, including, now that a lot of books here, The Nine Questions People Ask About Judaism, Happiness is a Serious Problem, Why the Jews, the Reason for Anti-Semitism, maybe we can drill down on that topic, Still the Best Hope, Why the World Needs American Values to Triumph, The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code, The Rational Bible, Exodus, The Rational Bible, Genesis, and today, the book that's about to come out on March 1st, we'll be talking about The Rational Passover
1: Haggadah. Did I get everything right, Dennis? Yeah, I I think you did. Oh, you missed well, you missed the book that uh, forty four essays on forty four subjects called Think a Second Time. It doesn't matter, but since you wanted to get everything in there, I I mentioned <laughs> that's that's the best as an introduction to my thinking because you can read every one of the essays in ten minutes.
0: So I guess what we could start with is you you have the series of the rational and then you know fill in the blank. How did you think about starting that series? And how does the current book that's coming out in March fit within that series?
1: My road uh, to, uh, to belief in God is, is completely uh, rooted in reason. Uh, I, I, take, uh, I take basically nothing on faith. Uh, and I believe that religions, specifically Christianity and Judaism, have, have done themselves a disservice by not uh, often emphasizing the rational road to the religion and or and or to God. And since that's my vehicle, I don't have a mystical bone in my body, I envy people who have mystical natures, I don't have one. But if you love uh, reason and morality and wisdom, and I'm not boasting, I just think wisdom is everything, uh, Then. Uh, just read the reviews, the 4,000 reviews of my Rational Bible series on, on Amazon. Agnostics said, this is the first time I, I think I could take religion and God seriously. So the latest edition is not uh, on the Bible. It's on the oldest holiday that humanity has uh, continually observed, Passover. And it explains uh, everything about it to the non-Jew as well as the Jew, and I, I thought that explaining—I'll give you an example. I deal with a, a very powerful question in, in the Haggadah, which is the service of the Passover. By the way, Jesus' Last Supper was the Passover Seder, so it's this is a big deal to both religions. And I ask a question, if we're supposed to believe God took the Jews out of Egypt, well then why didn't God take the Jews out of Europe? See, I, I, I've always believed you have to confront the toughest questions or your religion is not intellectually serious. So in a nutshell, that's what I've done here.
0: So what, what, what I mean, that's a very enticing uh, question that you pose. So wh- why did God not take, take the Jews
1: out of Europe? So the, the question, of course, is, is the broadest question. Why doesn't God stop all evil? Because let's say that God took the Jews out of Europe, so here's a, So let's say God took the Jews out of Europe after 1,000, not 6 million, after 1,000 Jews were killed. One could then ask perfectly legitimately, why did God let those 1,000 Jews killed? Why did he let the, the million or so Armenians get killed? Why did he let the 20 to 40 million Russians and Ukrainians get killed, 60 million Chinese? When you ask that question, you have to understand what you're asking is, why has God allowed people to commit evil? And that is the universe that he built. If people would prefer good robots to uh, people who uh, have free will, that's their choice. Uh, I think the Garden of Eden story is is a parable to show us that we would choose good and evil over robotic non evil. Got you. Uh, what you, when you mentioned earlier
0: about the, the brief synopsis of your latest book, you said it's a it's a book that can be read by Jews and non Jews. Are there any elements, any contents in the book that would be uniquely targeted to one or not the other, or or is everything a universal message that
1: could be consumed by, you know, a Gentile and a Jew? Everything is a universal message Uh, that when I wrote my uh, I've written three of the five volumes of my rational Bible. And uh, the image I have when I read it is of a rural Chinese who never heard of Moses, who may never have heard of God. Will this make sense to that person? That is how severe my universality of the message is. I don't in any way, shape, or form deny the particularity of it. It is a Jewish document. There is no question. But uh, I would say this. If, the, if these books only have a message to Jews, that is like saying Beethoven only has a message to Germans or, uh, or Shakespeare only has a message to the English. Uh, my, view, my view as a child in, in Jewish religious school, yeshiva, my view was either either this stuff has something to say to everybody or it has nothing to say to me.
0: Beautiful. Uh, do you think that, I mean, earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you approach your faith through a rational lens. Now, rationality has a very unique meaning to me as a as someone who studies decision-making. So in economic theory, you talk about rational choice so if if i prefer car a to car b and i prefer car b to car c then i must prefer car a to car c if i don't do that then i am violating a mathematical axiom and hence i'm being irrational so what what is the meaning of rationality in the context of how you use the term and then does that imply that if one is not religious then they are being irrational according to your lens
1: what it means well I accept the first theorem is completely, uh, it's, would be a dominant one, but it's not the only use of reason. If, uh, let, me, let me try to, okay, let, let me take the Ten Commandments, because sure. my, my biggest mission in life is, is uh, as I say on my radio show, you want to defund the police, have everybody live by the Ten Commandments. <laughs> then you can defund the police. The, uh, the the Ten Commandments are genius, and I, I devote a tremendous amount of time in both the Deuteronomy and Exodus books because it appears twice the Ten Commandments in the first five books. To uh, give you an example, honor your father and mother. It's a it's a it's a genius law for so many reasons, and and again, so this is what I mean by the use of reason. So, I note that. In these five books known as the Torah, the first five books, uh, it says "Love your neighbor," it says "Love God," and says, "Love the stranger." but it never tells you to love your parents. It, you only have to honor them. You know how liberating that is to so many people when they hear that because they have conflicted emotions with regard to their parents. but you do have to honor them. Why is that important? Every totalitarian movement and every cult begins with, uh, with uh, eliminating the authority or reducing the authority of parents. Honor your fa- father and mother is actually an antidote to totalitarianism. So I, I, I'm, I, those are rational observations. You can then rationally say, oh, it's not important. Whether people honor their parents or not has nothing to do with liberty in society. Okay, then we can have a rational argument. But the very fact that we can have a rational argument means I didn't say, take this on faith. That's my use of reason.
0: Got you. Uh, As as someone who teaches in a business school, uh, one of the ways that I have tried to explain the spread of religion is through the marketing metaphor. And so, for example, if you look at Islam, it's a very smart marketing religion in that it starts off with zero, well, what starts off with Muhammad, and then, you know, 1400 years later, it has 1.4 to 1.6 billion adherents. On the other hand, uh, viewed from that, you know, myopic lens, uh, Judaism is not a very good uh, marketing religion, because it only has 14, million adherents. One reason of which is that it's very hard to become a loyal customer of Judaism because you're put through so many hoops before you're able to be accepted into the tribe. Do you think that that's something that uh, we somehow uh, we should be revisiting in order to grow the flock, or it's good that we are the few
1: chosen ones? One of the reasons that Jews did not market uh, Judaism, although they did in uh, pre-Christian, one-tenth of the Roman Empire were Jews, they they were they were marketing in the New Testament. Paul says Jews would cross seas and 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 traverse continents to make one convert. So this is this is a, a result of Christian of Christianity of Christendom banning conversion to Judaism. You were put to death if you did. That that's a, that makes the marketing a, a very difficult thing to do. But there's a there's another reason, and it's really important. Judaism does not believe that the non-Jew goes to hell. There's no such doctrine. It's one of the few things all Jews would agree on. God, God sends good people to reward, and God sends bad people to uh, judgment, and that—well, everybody's judged—to uh, punishment. So you never had to be a Jew to be saved. There was, there's no such doctrine in Judaism. And therefore, the marketing is going to, by almost definition, be less intense. Christians have to market Christianity because they want to save people's souls. And uh, and there, while it's not identical in Islam, there is also the belief that there is one true religion and you need to be a member of it. So... Uh, It's a very powerful argument uh, for the non-sale, not-selling Judaism. However, I love your point, and I think uh, Jews have made a terrible mistake in uh, traditionally discouraging people from, uh, from becoming a Jew. You're supposed to tell them, you know, you realize how much Jews are hated, you're coming into a very difficult religion, and all of that. You know, my my future daughter-in-law, uh, as, as of ne- as of next month, is converted to Judaism, and I I I don't cry easily, but I cried at, at her conversion. That's how that's how moved I was.
0: You know, I th- you might you might appreciate this uh, story, Dennis, and I don't think I've mentioned it on your show, uh, and even if I did, uh, it's worth hearing again. But I'm almost certain I didn't. Uh, when I was a doctoral student at Cornell, uh, the local Rabbi, a Chabad Rabbi, his name is Rabbi Eli Silverstein, used to invite all of the students at Cornell for Shabbat dinner, and of course, many of us were just keen on actually eating good food, never mind all the theological reasons why you might want to go to Shabbat dinner, and he was just a lovely guy. His wife was also a doctoral student with me. We took at least one class together. And uh, through the years, we became very good friends for all the years that I spent in Ithaca, New York. And then towards the end of my tenure in Cornell, he once asked me very gently. This is going to speak to the idea of marketing the religion. He said to me, you know, Gad, you have a very uh, pure, you know, Jewish soul. I don't know. Maybe he was buttering me up. And then he said, would you do me a favor? I said, sure. He goes, do you think you could maybe put on Tfilin for me in the morning? So that was a big ask because I wasn't a, a huge kind of ritual guy, even though I'm very Jewish in my identity. And so for the next maybe I think thirteen, fourteen years, Dennis, I stayed true to that promise. Wow. And I put on wow. Philippe. Now, the reason why I say all this, I think it's a very moving story, but set but but more importantly for, for our context, he was able to market that particular ritual to the Jew of Jews, the Jew from the Middle East, right? The Levantine Jew. So I think there is benefit if, you know, if Judaism has a set of lessons that we can all benefit from, then I think one, I, I'm not talking about aggressive proselytizing. I'm just saying we, from aggressive proselytizing with the sword on the neck to doing nothing, there is some happy medium. That's Maybe right. we could find it there.
1: Well that's very it's a it's a credit to you that you took on that deal uh for those of your viewers listeners who don't know Tfilin are, by the way there it's always cracks me up they're translated as phylacteries but there is no human on earth who knows what phylacteries are who doesn't know what tfilin are Tfilin are the are the leather straps with uh for the head and the arm connected to a little box with the scroll of partial scroll of the Torah in it so it's that—that uh, that is a very big project of Chabad, the, the group the rabbi was affiliated with. My my method of introducing people to Judaism, including Jews, most Jews have nothing to do with Judaism, uh, is is not tefillin, it's Shabbat. Right. Uh, uh, my uh, it, it it is I have a thousand, batting a thousand. Everybody who comes to Shabbat dinner, either at my home or at the home of my friends that I go to very often Friday night, and I went uh, every Friday night from the second week of the lockdowns, I believe it was life-saving for the 15 of us who gathered. We we disobeyed completely every rule that they put up for our mental health, uh, which, which maintained completely balanced, thanks to Shabbat. Uh, if, if if people saw what you could have in your home every week, uh, Charlie Kirk, the head of the sure. point USA, uh, is a, is a devout Christian, and he told me we were together uh, two weeks ago. Uh, out of, uh, I I was stunned. He said, "Dennis, I just want you to know, I observe Shabbat. I turn my phone off Friday night at sunset." Yeah, and people know. Don't don't bother Charlie for twenty four hours. It, it, it is. That is the vehicle uh, to to a, a good life, and if you want to start taking Judaism seriously, that's that's my recommendation. Now, do you think so? Look, people sometimes think that I'm hostile to
0: religion. I'm I'm, I'm not that at all, right? There, there's some elements of that I consider well, you're having
1: me on. Uh, on. Exactly.
0: Thank you. Exactly. And I actually recognize that there are. Tremendous number of functional benefits that come from religiosity that even if you didn't couch them within a supernatural, as per your story of observing Shabbat, you can believe that that is an edict from God or you can believe that that's just good old-fashioned wisdom that has been passed on, we can debate the source. So, so there's a lot of content in religion that we can uh, you know, have reverence for, whether we are believers or not. Would you still support such a position, or would you say, no, you, you need to go that extra step and actually contextualize it within a, a religious narrative for it to be meaningful?
1: If I didn't believe ultimately that God instructed me To honor my parents I would not have honored my parents as much as I did okay okay it's as simple as that I if if I didn't believe God wanted me to observe the Sabbath Shabbat I don't think I would have devoted every single week uh, to doing so I would have figured out ah, you know what I'll take this week off I'll I'll go to the movies Uh, so uh, it's the wisdom and benefits are not God related the motive ultimately without God I don't I don't see them continuing do you think that
0: there is any value in the following statement the fact that you are doing those things because of God rather than for the intrinsic beauty of pursuing that edict so in other words I, I don't steal because I couldn't live with my conscience and it's, and, it, and it's great if God is watching, but it's also fine if he's not watching. I'm just an honorable person who won't do it for the pure love of not doing it. it is there a distinction there for you?
1: Of course. And uh, my, and my bottom line is my most, my biggest concern is that you're not steal. Right. So we, we are kindred spirits. Uh, a good atheist in, in Jewish theology goes to heaven. A bad Jew does not. So uh, clearly the behavior is number one, but I would argue that the behavior deteriorates when God is removed. I I just look at America Uh, in 1962, they ruled that you you can't say, God bless my teachers and and my parents. The worst ruling, I think, uh, in in American judicial history, uh, except obviously, you know, allowing for, for slaves to be returned. I mean, it's one of the worst. Let's put it that way. And uh, so I have, I have often said uh, kids within two generations went from blessing their teachers to cursing their teachers. Yeah. It's rampant, cursing teachers. Uh, uh, you don't need to be, you could be an atheist and understand that the death of God is the death of Western civilization. That, that's my bottom line. But I, I, will, I will just say this, uh, I have a very nice phrase, I don't believe in the, the Torah, the first five books that I'm doing my commentary on, because I believe in God. I believe in God because I believe in the Torah. This stuff is so powerful, so brilliant, so wise, I don't believe that people made it up 3,000 years ago. It's so different from everything humans all over the world ever believed. An invisible God who demands morality and judges all human beings, that introduction has, has there's no etiology. It, there's, there are no roots. Uh, it, it comes out of nowhere, at like like in, in, in effect the universe does, it comes out of nowhere. So uh, these things lead me to God. If you keep Shabbat for a year, it'll be hard for me, I don't mean you personally, sure. one who does, it would be hard for me to think after a year they would be unmoved on the God question but I don't care why you keep it uh, to go back to your stealing I'm happy you don't steal but as I said I know for a fact that believing that God demanded that I could honor my parents had an effect the number of American adults who do not speak to a parent today is the largest in a number in American history the sense that I'm I'm annoyed with my mother, I don't have to talk to her, is a secular idea.
0: You know, uh, it it actually touches a personal point, what you just said, which we, we could talk about offline uh, regarding some family dynamics. Uh, of course, I, I, I wholly agree with you that, uh, you know, parents should be revered. Yesterday, I blew up in anger at my own children because they were acting like little brats. And I said, you know, you're not respecting your mother and me. But I also wonder whether it wouldn't be nice that people were taught that you should also respect and honor your children. And that's one of the contentions I used to have with my own parents, whereby they would use that edict such that it became a deontological principle that says, it's asymmetric. You respect me unidirectionally, whereas I can, you know, abuse you to no end. And I'm not getting into details, but, you know, I could say anything that cuts you and hurts you because, hey, look... In the Ten Commandments, this is what it says. So I wonder if there's a more humanistic way where we can just say, yes, of course, revere your parents. Of course, honor your parents. But how about we also make sure that we honor our children?
1: It's a very tough question because I'll give you an example. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) It's a very tough uh, issue. Uh, When I I used to have my dad on my radio show every year on his birthday, July 18th, he was a very wise man. And everybody loved that hour. Many people said it was their favorite hour of my radio show. And uh, I would ask him, so dad, what's the biggest difference between America when you were a kid, when we're talking now the 1920s and 30s, and now, and past 2000?" And amazing how frequently he would answer, uh, "Kids rule the family, not the parents." <laughs> and I agree one hundred percent. I, you, it's not a matter of even honoring your children; it's a matter of you treat everybody decently. Right. I mean, it, 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 but a specific ruling needs it is asymmetrical. A, I believe children need guardrails and stability and security more than love. I think uh, I put down love as one of the false gods of the modern era in my book, because the false god section is so, in some ways the most important section of, of all of my five books. Uh, the uh, the ancient Talmud, the, the Jewish work holiest after the Bible, ha- has an amazing statement whoever does not worship a false god is considered to have kept the entire Torah. And I, I agree entirely with that. And love has become, uh, for example, unconditional love. I've I made a war on that doctrine. If you look up Google, Google I don't know if you know this, you, you probably do, because you know so much, and I mean that sincerely. But uh, uh, Google has actually, you can trace a phrase yeah how much it has been in English literature, and I don't mean just the novels, in, in newspapers, magazines, books. So I looked up unconditional love, 1900, doesn't exist. Nothing, 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 nothing. 1960s, woo, and goes up and up and up. It's, it's not a religious doctrine. It's not a rational doctrine. Really you should love somebody no matter how they act no matter how they treat you your, your husband beats you and you have to love, give him unconditional love. the idea is preposterous wow. and I don't even believe God has unconditional love for us if he does he is a strange way of showing it he destroyed the whole world because they were evil yeah you they have unconditional love for everybody except Noah I, 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 it, it, it's by the way the doctrine the words don't even appear in the in the Hebrew Bible unconditional love and that's the book that gave us love your neighbor love god love the stranger oh you know, it's big on love but not love that has that is not merited well i can i can
0: i can uh place what you're saying uh, within a scientific framework I remember earlier we when I joked about, you know, reciprocity and so on. So, unconditional love has an element of parasitism within it, right? No matter what I do to you, you must offer me love, right? No no relationship can withstand this kind of pressure. Every relationship has to have a give and take. So, even if I, as a parent, am willing to die to protect you as a, as my child, you can't be infinitely disrespectful to me, insolent to no end, uh, steal from me. Then I maybe have the right to withdraw my quote unconditional love from you. So, in a sense, I, I completely agree with you. To, to 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 grant unconditional love is anti-Darwinian. <laughs> Good.
1: <laughs> we're see, we're in agreement. That's right. Fine with me. Uh, yes, but uh, I people always say. Oh, I, I wish there was a law to respect your child. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that people who believe in the God of the Ten Commandments uh, abuse their children. I am sure some have. Right. There is no, nothing guarantees goodness. All you can do is maximize your chances. And that's why I've devoted my life to to spreading the wisdom of these books. And And again, I just want to remind people, as you know, as an author, Uh, It's good to mention the book. Rational Passover Haggadah. Rational Passover Haggadah. For an atheist, for a Christian, for a Jew.
0: Is there anything in writing this book and doing the research for this book that surprised you? Oh, I didn't know this. I actually thought the opposite of that. Or, uh, you know, was it just a collection of information that you already knew? Did anything surprise you?
1: Well, it's not information, it's insights. I just, yes, well, my biggest I, I, the biggest revelation came to me in over the years, as I know you know, but very few of your viewers would. So there's a very famous story in the Haggadah about four children. That there are four children that people have the the, the bad one, the wise one, the one who doesn't know how to ask, and, and the um and the simple one. Why isn't there a good child? There's a bad child, a wise child, the one who doesn't know how to ask, and a simple one. Where's a good child? And the, the genius, and it is genius, I think, was a wise child is a good child. Wisdom is, the, wisdom is what matters. Not good intentions. The number of good people who don't have wisdom and do bad is in in the billions in my opinion so th- wisdom is the most important pursuit in life not not goodness even though I'm, I'm preoccupied with goodness I the Haggadah is what opened my mind to the centrality of wisdom in making a good world well I mean and
0: I mean, of course, this is part of Jewish teachings, but also the ancient Greeks would place wisdom as, you know, one of the fundamental values for the pursuit of a good life.
1: If you went to Harvard in, uh, uh, in 1780, you studied Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Exactly, exactly.
0: Right. Uh, All right. Uh, Anything we want to discuss? Again, guys, you need to go out and buy the Rational Passover Haggadah coming out, I think, March 1st, right, Dennis? Sounds right. Right. Uh, Anything you want to discuss about current events? I know you have to leave soon. uh, That's pissing you off, that's keeping you up at night. I'm sure a lot of things. Pick your top one or two. Let's drill down and let's see if we can solve those problems.
1: Watching uh, Americans obey irrational orders... Uh, has been uh, a very sad illuminating moment for me I love this country and I did not expect Americans to say yes sir to destroying so many kids lives for no good reason it's unbelievable it's unbelievable
0: that's right I mean I'm I'm being slightly facetious but not really you you of course had an influence in helping uh soviet jews emigrate and so on do you think you can open your heart to allow a canadian lebanese jew to escape the dictatorship of Justin Trudeau to make it down to to to, to the US you've you've got some kind of underground railway that you can help me escape uh, from yeah. Canada
1: I have I have I can only commiserate and tell you I have advocated on my show on a number of occasions that they remove the maple leaf from the Canadian flag and put a sheep <laughs> meaning that all Canadians are sheep who just follow whatever yes. they're told. Yes. Well, the Canadian truckers may have started something. For the, which they will be remembered for for many many uh,
0: centuries. You should watch if you haven't had a chance. the The Canadian uh, truckers' spokesperson is named by a guy by the name a fellow Jew by the name of B.J. Dichter, who who was a friend of mine prior to him gaining all this uh, new fame as the spokesperson. He came on my show. You should listen to this guy. Oh,
1: I want to put him on my show.
0: Oh, please, do you... put, please
1: put me in touch.
0: I will. I will make it happen. Oh, thank absolutely, you. absolutely. Uh, Dennis, I wish you the best of success with this book. Again, the Rational Passover Haggadah, comes out in early March. Such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for coming on. I hope I haven't taken too much of your time.
1: Let's no, stay are you kidding? In... You're a joy. I told you this on my radio show. You are a joy. Thank you,
0: Dennis, so much. Best of luck, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Cheers.